One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't like blood. guys get to see uh, what we say when we check the mic. Yeah. I say check, check. And now the podcast people <gasps> get to hear it because we have officially begun recording, Paul. Oh I, my gosh. I gotcha podcasted you. You gotcha podcasted me like how, uh, you know, old Hetty gotcha Stephen Weber. And uh, boy, did she. When he thought she was, uh, well, you know, Allison. <sighs> Hey, I remember the characters' names. I'm really proud of myself there. Ooh. Hetty and Allison. Hetty and Allison. Now, I did say Steven Weber. That's true. I don't think that was the character's uh, name. In your defense, I can't remember his character's name. Uh, I can't remember his character's name from Wings. I, uh, it's just Wings. <laughs> Wings Hauser. I remember the upstairs neighbor's Graham. Yes. Because he's played by Peter Friedman, who is, if you were a succession watcher, is like a huge part of that show and, and maybe one of my favorite like so stealth many, comedians in that show. He's so good. That's awesome. So, so many people who watched, rewatched or watched Single White Female for to listen yeah. to the podcast. So many people got to have the moment. Paul, of like, I'm one of those oh people. Oh my gosh, what'd you think? What would, oh. Is he the same? Have you seen his acting change? Well, he's... He is 30 years later. different, and I Amanda wasn't watching this with me because we watched it not too long ago, so mm-hmm. I did go, Amanda, get in here. Look, it's Frank from Succession. He's young. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a cause for celebration in this household because he's such a great actor. He's great in this. He's great in Succession. I mean, that is the fun of when you see uh, an actor and something. The response usually is, they're so young. I know. Um, not true. For uh, a movie star, we know who most people go, that person has always remained youthful looking. Let's put a pin in that. Okay. You got a story about Paul Rudd, my man. Well, normally my stories are about Paul Rust, but I'm going to change two of those consonants to two other twin consonants and tell you this story. First of all, though, yeah. So you got That was just a little, te- a little teaser. Speaking of, that's funny you say that because I had to buzz in a couple of days ago into a building. And I had to give my name, and I specifically, when I gave my name, I was like, uh, "It's Paul Rust." <laughs> Not like that. I'm joking, but I did emphasize it because somebody was going to have to open up the door to let me in. 
I don't want their hopes to be dashed. Or maybe it would be the other way around. Yeah, come on. I doubt anybody would have been like... If they're a listener to this show. Paul Rudd has ever showed up and gone, Paul Rudd? And they're like, oh my God, Paul Rust. <laughs> Paul Rust is here. And they get every... The banner's all set up. I and would. then they open the door and it's Paul Rudd. And they're like, mm-hmm. I would. I would. I, I, you're both delightful people, but the person I want to have here every on a weekly basis. Well, it's in Gorley, uh, in, in Voorhees, we trust. That's right. It's not in Voorhees, we trud with Gorley and Rudd. Rudd. That doesn't even What if I sense. left this podcast to do that? Oh, it'd be heartbreaking. Be I, I'd like cruel. to think it'd break the listeners' hearts, I too. think it would. Now, Matt, yeah. uh, you were going to okay, well, tell first, us about the thing. Let's Ooh, let that be a cold wild, open, because yeah. this is with Gorley and Rust. We've mentioned the title, but never <laughs> in an official sense. I'm Matt Gorley. And I'm Paul Rust. This is the uh, just easy listening, cozy mm-hmm. cast where we go on at length about thrillers, horror movies, and whatever else. Fickles are tansy. <laughs> and it's extra, extra cozy today. Oh, yeah. Because as I'm coming up over the 134 and through the hills of Pasadena and nestling down into the valley, the clouds, dark clouds start rolling in. And what I was promised at the beginning of the morning, an 80% chance of rain. I like them odds. It came true. And so by the time I was outside your house and I opened up the door, I had that smell that I haven't had in probably like six months, which is that like atmospheric rain. So what is that? that, Uh, Yeah, that first rain, it's like fresh water but also the water i think brings the oil up from the concrete so there's a kind of like strange essence there's the ah. the the i think it hits the leaves and makes a certain smell so it's only something you get from a rain there really is a rain and, and smell and it wouldn't happen tomorrow necessarily cuz it hasn't built up like a first rain might not fully have that smell yet it's maybe it comes after like a film builds up of oh i don't know and maybe the smells strongest on the first rain because it's mm-hmm. the biggest reaction of water to whatever it's hitting i, I mean because i always imagine it's just like oh the water from the clouds smell like that but now you got me on a line of thinking of like no it has to be that things are getting like that's dashed with water for the it's first time a, it's just and then guess. when those worms come out that's a funny <laughs> part of rain too uh, but now that means we got a beautiful overcast Cast sky right now. Um, I'm wearing socks here, buddy. Oh, me too. And we're looking out your beautiful windows here, and I'm hearing uh, water, and I'm seeing just like uh, a wet patio. Yeah. Those words don't sound appealing, wet patio, <laughs> but the images, it's nice. Oh, it's a good day to be talking a cozy, yuppie nightmare thriller like this. Yeah. Funny, because I, I think there's maybe only a... A couple gray clouds in this movie. It's pretty sunny New York. For New York, yeah. In fact, so much so, not that this would make a lot of sense because it's also kind of a cloudy place, but I always think this movie's set in San Francisco. And I think it's because the architecture of the building seems more internally San Francisco, even though maybe it's because it was a set and they didn't. Yeah, know. and you know, as we discussed, uh, that's ground zero for yuppie nightmares is the upper northern west coast yeah uh, so it makes that's sense right. that's now uh so uh if people are here the barbay heads the barbay schroeder yeah, heads barbay are here Schroeders. for the first time and they uh like uh our podcast they can go over to patreon.com 
slash. <laughs> and and <laughs> normally you have a slash, but this is we we paid extra for a slash. Yeah, there's blood dripping off yeah. the domain slash if you mm-hmm. look at it. And with Gorley and Rust, and people can go there, and we got some real doozies. Uh, I guess by the time people listen to this, no. For the trustees, the yeah. people who are patriots, the, it's in a couple of days. But Matt and I are doing something that has never been done before. We're doing a commentary uh-huh. for Psycho. Oh, yeah. You're like, okay. Yeah. I've Hasn't heard, that been done before? That's been done multiple times for both versions. Oh, I'm sorry. Psychos. <laughs> the, we're going to watch the original and the remake, shot for shot remake, side by side. Now, Matt, I looked into this. Yeah. It was tried once before and the person who did it died. <gasps> like the ring? Like it killed them? Yes. A day, one day later after they did it, they got killed in a shower. Oh, my God. A maniac came in and butchered them in a shower. Shit. Well, listen, these are the risks we take for you listeners, you know? Mm -hmm. Same thing. We watched both versions of Halloween 6 simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And uh, exactly a day later, I was walking down my hall, and there were a bunch of runes. And I couldn't go down. I've still not been to the end of my house since that happened because I can't get past these runes. So, I, wonder, I wonder if you're the same way. Like, Are runes for you like one of those sorts of things that you like actually kind of like clean up before the maid comes? You're like, you know what? I don't want her picking up the runes. Yeah. I'll pick up the runes in the hallway. I do, but my daughter loves playing with runes and so there are runes strewn throughout the Groon. The Groon. <laughs> What's the Groon? Well, it's a room, okay? Yeah. Don't you, ask questions. You worry about getting some runes first, and then we'll tell you what a Groon is, okay? <laughs> and uh, uh, if people wanted to see uh, the, the atmosphere that we're surrounded by right now, that's also a little mm. perk there, huh? The live streaming. That's right. If you are a baby Xenomorph subscriber at that level, not only can you watch as they are right now. Hi, Hello. live Hi, guys. We're looking over there. You can um, also get your name read out, which we'll try to do at the end of this podcast. We're on a slight time budget today, so if we don't get it to it this time, we'll get to it next time. And by next time, I mean actually two weeks from now, because when we were talking about the schedule last episode, we forgot Thanksgiving's next week, mm-hmm. and uh, we're not going to be able to record ahead for that, so we're going to take one more week off after this, but on time this month as well will be that psycho commentary mm-hmm. the fourth Tuesday of the month as the special episode yes. always drops. And, um, and then I, we'll be back with uh, The Temp. That's right. On December 1st for the um, people that subscribe p- Patreon and the week after for the freebies. Yeah. Now, yeah. okay, well, that's enough business. That's right. I've teased this on a mailbag episode and I don't want to um, oh, overpromise, yes. but... When I, I was recently in New York and we did some live Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend shows for any listener that doesn't know, that's a podcast that I work on Woo! as a producer and, and I guess as embattled co-host. Yeah. And uh, hey, people say you kill it. People say you knock it out of the park oh, every, I, every no, goddamn just, episode, I'm just Matt. trying to keep my head above water uh, is I all, think, I, that's okay. all it is. But we did these live shows and on the first night, um, the guest was the comedy group Please Don't Destroy. And then Paul mm-hmm. Rudd was a walk-on guest doing a recurring bit that he does with Conan that's very funny where he sets up a video he wants to show oh, and it's yes. always a clip from Mac and me. Yes. And the guy's just as as wonderful and delightful as you might imagine, as he seems. Mm. And afterwards, after the show, we were all, as, as a backstage climate can often be, crammed into a hallway with a certain amount of invited guests backstage. 
Paul Rust was oh, sorry. <laughs> I did it. Paul Rudd was there, and I can't remember what came up, but I said, "Oh, he mentioned Halloween Six in the episode. This episode is out now." Unprompto, he was kind of playing a uh, like a braggadocious guy, and he's like, "Blah blah 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 blah." And by the way, I can say that because I was in Halloween Six. Okay, so you're sitting over there <laughs> on the other fucking side of the stage, being like, "I just watched." The theatrical and producer's cut, Nary, five days ago, mm-hmm. and now he's referencing it right before my eyes. Yeah, and I think I mentioned that the first time he was on, we get uh, a researcher does notes for the guests, and then I, at that time, would kind of look them over and give them to Conan. And I added in, he was in Halloween 6, it was his first role. Matt's very excited about this, but Conan didn't ask that question. So he brings it up. I think if you bring it up, then it's like a half hour of the interview. It's it's the whole interview. The whole interview. And the interview goes long. Yeah. Uh, The publicist is like, like, can we talk about anything? Every interview ends up being about Halloween 6. I wish. (laughs) That would be a big idea. So afterwards, I can't remember what what we were talking about. That's how that's how much the Halloween 6 conversation I'm about to talk about sure. made an impact on me. Sure. It was just Paul Rudd and me, both of us leaning on a wall. So this is after the show? Yeah. In a fairly narrow hallway. I'm not kidding. Our faces are about a foot apart because we, because it was kind of loud. So we were just leaning in and I was like, I, uh, I think I hear some listeners hearts a fluttering. Oh, mine included. Oh, can we ship Rudd and Gorley? Oh, I already please. hear the conversations and see the droids people. He's just as charming and dreamy and friendly as you see. He really is. I, I, uh, I've, I've uh, met the man sure. as well and got to, uh, uh, you know, whatever, spend a, 15 minutes chat with the dude. He seemed like the the 10 minute mark. How did you not ask him about Halloween six? That's about as long as I could wait. (laughs) You know what? I used my nerd, uh, token or whatever, uh, cashed in on was I told him I saw in the theater, the 10, what's the 10, the 10 is like David Wayne's. Oh, right. Movie version of the Decalogue. Oh yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, um, the reason I brought it up because it has this amazing thing that I've never seen in a movie before. And it was just like talking about that where a guy blows his line and he goes, uh, let me do that again. And then he says it real. It's like a actor they hired for one line. And they, and they just, kept it in. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. God. It's really funny. In the theater, people just kind of were like, what the hell? Uh, but anyway, so, so you're like a foot away. Yeah. People and, around you are going, are these two going to kiss? Well, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so I very quickly asked him about, I said, I've got to ask you, I'm a huge Halloween fan and even a Halloween six fan. And I just want to know what your experience on that was like. He didn't bristle or balk and that some people might, or, or kind of like demure. He, he was just so wonderfully pleasant about it. Like, he present. clearly was happy to talk oh about it. Oh my God, damn it, and yes. It all, right away, I was like, I'm in heaven, right? That's odd. And dude, props to you, so bold and brave just to bring it up. Well, I, I don't think I deserve the credit. I think it's a credit to Paul Rudd's affability and approachability. He also that, had that thing that he mentioned on stage is kind of a little yeah, open door that's, there too. That's why I brought it up. So we spoke for about 10 minutes just about Halloween 6, mm-hmm. including an interruption that um, some people had come backstage that I got them in and they came back to say hi, but they 
they were wonderful people, but we definitely got interrupted and I was dying inside. And the worst part is they just spoke to me and they didn't speak to Paul Rudd, who was just then left standing there for a couple minutes. I was able to, as gingerly as possible, get back to it. And then the, luckily the conversation continued. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so now that's a true fair. magnetism that it can like withstand outside forces. You're, you guys are locked yeah, in. I hope I wasn't rude to those people, but... I had a priority. And well, I had, I had totally. Somewhere. And those people were like the equivalent of like a Halloween fan's cock blocker. Exactly. It's like, guys, can't you see I'm talking to Tommy Doyle over here? I know. Give me a little breathing room. Yeah. And then it's nice that the shoe's on the other foot there because if it had been people coming over to Paul Rudd to talk about, you know, Ant Man or whatever, and you're standing I there. I would have understood that. No, yeah. you would have understood it, but yeah. then you're put in the position of like, Deep doop, beep beep yeah. boop. Which I like tomato soup. <laughs> He's saying those exact words. <laughs> beep boop, duty doop. I like tomato soup. So <laughs> then, okay, I said, I said, I just, I, I gotta know, like, what was your experience like? And he was just, oh man, you know what? It was my first movie, and the first story wow. he told was that wow. he did this movie and was so kind of. Um, I, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to do his story wrong, but like not disappointed or exasperated. He just was like, wow, this is my first movie. And then he saw it like, this is what it is. Mm. But Clueless was his second movie and that came out before Halloween 6. So he Whoa. was really kind of like, you know, on the map in that world and started to do talk shows for Clueless. Interesting. And then when Halloween 6 came out, the the movie production came to him and said like we want you to go do talk shows and he was like not being an asshole or a diva was just like I I can't I can't follow Clueless exactly because what is this movie and that's true when you saw Clueless you're like who is this amazing uh, presence on screen that I yeah. haven't seen before if it had been reversed it could have been the yeah. could have been different so here is the bit of news and I think a f the main part of this is out there. I looked it up online. I didn't know it, but then a little detail is, I believe, a with Gorley and Rust exclusive. Mm. And it's little. Ah, I had to swallow my coffee there. Okay. I nearly so, spit it out. He said that David Gordon Green called him to play... This is the known part, yes, not the exclusive part. This is part. the known part. Mm -hmm. Although, like I said, I didn't know this. And when I texted you this, did you know uh, You blew my mind. Yeah, me too. When you texted me, I like yeah. flipped out. David Gordon Green called him to play Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills. And... Uh, uh, hello, that's huge. Can you imagine? And what does that suggest? You suggest the Thorn trilogy is, uh, in the is mix. canon. Yes, <laughs> it's canon. So he said he he said basically that he said yes and he wanted to. And here's the little exclusive that his intention and he had spoke to David Gordon Green about this was to play it not only as the brooding Tommy that he did in Halloween Six, but to kind of match the level of his like beginning novice acting style that he wanted to keep that. Thing going, yeah. wow! And I was just dying. Oh, that's You've such a this is idea. news to me as you're telling me, and I'm flushed with excitement about that. Is such a great little detail because remember in part six he does have this kind of like 
he's doing like a little bit of a brooding kind yeah, of we talked to young him. actor like, thing. Yeah, and yeah, he he like, was acknowledging that and saying like, I, I would want to try to keep that going. That is fantastic. Yeah. He, this is like a little Brando James Dean thing we talked about yeah. watching Halloween 6 where it's like, I didn't know that the cult of Thorn was going to be so diabolical, but it was. Um, so, so he, that would have been amazing he, then to yeah. see him at his age in that movie, in that movie, doing the evil dies tonight speech with the limitations of a 1995, yeah. uh, actor. I also mentioned your observation to him that perhaps Anthony Michael Hall did not know his lines and that they cut around it and that it would be so nice to see him perform that monologue. Oh, a single take of the monologue, yeah, yeah. or some log, yeah. He said that he had to do the Ghostbusters movie and that's why he ultimately he couldn't. I was going to say Anthony Michael Hall had to do the <laughs> Ghostbusters, but they worked it out and they let him do both. But that's why Paul Rudd could, he, he had to go- bust ghosts so he couldn't yeah. bust Michaels. That's right. And then we talked a little bit about... And, hey, I say that with all respect to Anthony Michael Hall. No, That's pure enough. speculation. And I think you're... I love the dude. Something, though. I truly, if... Yeah, but he phones it in a little in that movie, if we're being mm. honest. Don't you think? This is how I feel about Anthony Hall from the age of, like, after Breakfast Club. He squanders. He's, he gets his opportunities and he squanders. He it. seems a little... S- sort of ragey or something. I don't know. Uh, it's in the public. And then also when he gets his time at the bat, he doesn't yeah. entirely like the funds gone. kill it. Yeah. He, he was, he embodied fun like in vacation, everything. He was magical. Yeah. It, there's and, that kind and pretty of, in pink. Yeah. And, and uh, even weird science. Oh yeah. Has like that, like light. He just has a thing in his eyes of a, person being so excited uh but yes so i i, I just wanted to say uh you know uh, yeah. I, I would have loved to have seen him give that speech but I also i would have loved to have seen uh, paul rudd as tommy doyle give so that much yeah so just to wrap it up we talked a little bit about donald pleasance and he was just saying you know I whoa think, well there wasn't any real news there um still other talking. than i think there was a tacit confirmation that maybe he was quite a drinker uh, but that he was so excited. I'm going to be in a movie with Donald Pleasance. It's yeah. a Halloween movie. And that, and that for it to end up being what it was on his first movie, I think was really something for him to contend with as a young actor. And he had such, I, I, I feel like there's so much more. He, the conversation didn't end. It, it got, I think maybe interrupted again. He was just happy to talk about it. It could have gone on for a long time. And I'm like, it was wonderful. It makes me happy as a fan of his as a fan of the Halloween movies, mm-hmm. as a fan of Matt Gorley, it checks all the boxes there. Yeah. That's really, that's a special, uh, special story. Yeah. Like that. Um, did, um, uh, him mentioning, um, working with Pleasance. Oh, 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 that just that he was excited about, um, the movie and then to have it come out that way and sort of, um, it's. I feel like whether it's somebody's first thing or the last thing they worked on. So you've, you've been on sets when you're acting something. Everybody's committed something. A little. I don't know if it's Stockholm syndrome necessarily. Mm-hmm. A little bit because it's like whatever is devoting that much time. Yeah. And energy, you feel like well, then I have to be devoted to it. But like, there's some kind of like 
Kool-Aid everybody drinks where you're like, this is important. Yeah. And it is funny to imagine like, or I can easily see how on the set of Halloween 6, people still go, you know what? This is the fifth sequel to a Halloween movie. It's on the edge of going straight to rental. It's been a few years since the last one. Yes. Right. People have long kind of <laughs> forgot about the, the man. Uh, and, but every day they were probably there be like, this is really important what oh, we're yeah. doing. And when this comes out, people are going to have their socks fucking. And also yeah. the fact that it was his first movie, you would be so passionate about it well, being great. I, I and, can't explain. I'm glad we've got this conversation down on record because I feel like even from then to now, which is a week ago, I've lost elements of the story. I should have just immediately run to a notebook, written it down like James Comey, keeping contemporaneous notes of his meeting with Trump. I was going to so say, like, like the like, birth of a child. There's details. And I'm yeah. like, why didn't I just write down what the songs were playing? Now I can only try to imagine. Yeah. I did try to commit it to memory after, even when I went to bed. <laughs> I like what and, we compared it to. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody talking to a president <laughs> or the birth of a child. Yes, I stand by it. I stand by it. It was the highlight of my trip. (laughs) Specifically talking about his experiences on Halloween. I met the man who killed Han Solo, Adam Driver, and this was still the (laughs) highlight of my trip. Okay. (laughs) So, did you ask any uh, Kylo Ren? Uh, questions? Any burning? Uh... Well, Conan did set me up for that, and oh, you do? Yeah, we had. A, he kind of threw me on the spot, where it's like, "You killed Han Solo." Matt's a huge Star Wars fan, so Matt, what do you want to say? And I was oh, like, "Oh my boy, god, oh boy, oh, oh. what'd you do?" I just said, "Well, oh, but you did it with such style." And then he had spoken earlier about how he had to learn. He was cast in Lincoln as a telegraph operator, and he took it upon himself to learn how to do like telegraphing. Wow. And he got there and he was like, oh, there's just a machine that does it for you. I didn't even have to do that. And so when I was thrown to me to ask a question about Star Wars, I was like, well, if you took it upon yourself to learn the telegraph for Lincoln, how did you go about learning the force? (laughs) (laughs) Not even a lightsaber. How did you learn the force? (laughs) That's very funny, Matt. Uh, yeah, how do you go method with uh, the force? I know. How do you go method when it's other world? You know, I don't know. Yeah, like if whatever Mark, he did, it worked. If Mark Hamill went method, does that mean like he invites Frank Oz over to, for a weekend to spend the amount of time that they would in Dagobah, and he keeps Yoda yeah. in character, and he's like, yeah, bossing Yoda around to get him popcorn? Or they're just out in his backyard, his like swampy backyard. <laughs> what if Mark Hamill was insane? What if? <laughs> And he invited, he's like, we got to go method this weekend, Frank. Come over and you're going to stay in characters, Yoda. And I'm going to stay in characters, Luke. And then, yes, he just had Frank Oz as Yoda in the backyard. And Mark Hamill stayed inside the whole weekend and just looked out at him. He's like, what? That's what it would be like. He's like, no, I think actually I'd be in the house. Yeah. All right. Well, we we should get to single white female because, I mean, we got. Oh yeah, no, we got plenty of time. Okay, we do. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we do. Okay, good. All right, but still, this movie deserves a a real discussion. Oh, Um, I'll say you know because it's one of those, uh, and this was mentioned in the live uh, screaming. Hi y'all. Hi. Uh, When we fired it up and we were chatting with everybody, I uh, somebody was like, you can. uh, 
point to uh, how much of a cultural impact a movie has had yeah. uh, based on if Saturday Night Live had a, like a spoof sketch about oh, it. That's right. And uh, I was like, well, Brantley Palmer included in his notes a link to the Joe Pesci hosted SNL <laughs> Where they did a spoof of single white female with it's Pat. I know I saw this at the time. I have not had a chance to rewatch it when he sent it. Uh, yeah, the uh, well, the uh, uh, once again a home run with these notes. Um, yeah. some some good details. I also learned how to pronounce is Barbe. Barbe. Um, Barbe Schroeder. Do you think there's ever confusion? You know, like with me with Paul Rudd with him and like Babar. <laughs> They're like, oh, Bad Bar's coming in tonight. He ordered a table for five at the restaurant. Is that five elephants? One elephant and four other humans? What is this? Oh, we're going to just have to clear out the whole dining room to make room for Bad Bar's family. <laughs> and then Barbe shows up, Schroeder, and they're like, mm, oh, hi. We'll get, we cleared up the main room. I don't know. This is stupid. Yeah, I'd say it. <laughs> uh, Barbe though he seemed like a, in Brantley's notes cool dude I love hearing that it seems like everybody had a good time working with him he wasn't one of those kind of toxic or hostile directors especially that were big anytime before five years ago yeah yeah the, and uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and his back story uh, he came up through uh, I never know how to pronounce it Cahiers du Cinema or the French New Wave People wrote reviews, yeah, film critics, uh, and then came to be filmmakers. He was one of the last ones. And he was mentored by Eric Romer. Yeah. Amazing. And then um, uh, Brantley gave a very impassioned note about how he referenced uh, Samuel Sam Fuller yeah. as, a, um, as a reference point. And then uh, Brantley went on to list all the filmmakers who were like, Sam Fuller is the shit. And it's a pretty stunning list. He's the filmmaker's filmmaker, it seems like. Yeah. He might even be from the filmmaker's low, filmmaker's like, filmmaker. What's that? He might even be the filmmaker's filmmaker's filmmaker. Yes. Filmmakers. Whoa. <laughs> uh, but it made me think, hey, not necessarily for the podcast, but I got to get on the Fuller train. Me too. It's too it, I've been waiting too long. Well, it, I've liked everything I've seen. I know. I got to get and, on that. Uh, 50s, 60s stuff, the, the crispness sometimes yeah. is, feels good. Yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of like, um, what else do I like that's crispy? Oh, chips. Oh. oh. <laughs> what else do I like that's crispin? Glover. <laughs> you did, fuck. Do you think when his dad... Bruce? Named him Bruce. When Bruce named him Crispin, the person who was writing down the birth certificate like was misheard him actually <laughs> taking a menu order, like giving a menu order. <laughs> like, how do you want that chicken? And he's like, crispy. And they're like... <laughs> What do you want your first name's first name to be? Oh, Crispin! Oh, good golly! So we got a miss two in a row with Rusty. Uh -oh. Two home runs. <laughs> two in only the way Paul Paul Rust can. Yeah, as if uh, oh, I knock him out of the park every time. Oh, that reminds me. I told you right before we started. Yeah. Uh, recording a, a funny joke I came up Please. with that I wanted to share. I want three home runs. I oh, okay. This. It came from Brantley's notes about how they had to um, <laughs> test audiences hated when the dog died, the mm -hmm. puppy died, which 
I get. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. But that they had to like first it was a visual effects shot of like a puppy like exploding right. and and test audiences were like, no. And they cut it down further and test audiences were like still no this is our least favorite part of the movie we hate it and so they basically got it to what it is in the movie um but i was thinking like you know if they wanted those test audiences scores to get up they should have just put the audience filled with cats (laughs) (laughs) that's not just a home run that's the game winner (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) that's 10 out of 10 through the roof, meow. Tell friends, I'll tell everyone. Woohoo! <laughs> we got a hit. It didn't play well in Dogtown, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, any opening thoughts about the single? You well, said you watched it you know, recently. It's funny, whenever we talk about a movie, it's like, I saw this a long time ago, or I've never seen this, or I saw it recently. This is a movie I think I've just seen regularly over great stretches mm-hmm. through my life that I always enjoy. It's really a solid th- thriller. Mm-hmm. It's a solid yuppie nightmare. Mm-hmm. I think at the time I liked it. I liked it in between. Mm-hmm. I liked it last time I watched it. I liked it last night. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a goodie. It's a goodie. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in, in certain ways how, well, just that, as a marker of the time, it's not the movie, but that it's called Single White Female. The book is called Single White Female Seeks Same. Seeks Same. Which when you think even in the 90s, someone's going, I need a roommate and they should be white, is fucking crazy to Oh, that's that. right. Seeks Same is yeah. specifically, yeah. So the movie's I like, like that, that title way. though, Seeks Same, because then it gets really true at the same part. Yeah. The twinny part. But even that, even if you're not seeking the same, that you still... I have to classify your race. No, definitely. But that was something that just, I remember yeah. that. And they said they even considered changing it for that reason, but realized everybody just knows that from classified ads, single white male. So that would sing. fit as a, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And that. And uh, it, the title doesn't um, uh, suggest, for me, it suggests like the kind of like hollowness of that yeah. identity. Yeah. Or or the hollowness of that term. It's not extolling that term or anything. It's not like Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's talking about the movie. But yes, you're saying like it is kind of wild that it's in, crazy. In, yes, in life in the world you could kind of be like I want to make sure uh, my roommate is the same race. Got to put that out in the classifieds yeah. in print to let people know is uh yeah, the um what I like about that title, though, Single White Female Seeks Same, is in the movie, it seems like Same Seeks Single, single White Female. female. She's, yeah. she's, she's, she's the sameness is seeking that person. But what that title gets at, and I think uh, is a component I love so much uh, about this movie, the, the, atmosphere and how it looks and how the light in the yeah. uh the time period jennifer jason lee is like the best thing in the movie for me they called her one take lee in this i know i heard that in the yeah, yeah. one take lee the director and the crew if yeah. you heard the crew calling you one takes and you'd be like oh my god i'm the fucking shit yeah, people love Superman. me i wondered what that was like i know child actors 
which she was. She was? Well, I only know her from Fast Times. Was she a child actor before that? I mean, I guess uh, she was in Eyes of the Stranger hmm. and did a really good slasher that we should watch sometime um, hmm. before Fast Times. But I think she also did TV roles and stuff hmm. before she was 18 or, you know, yeah. when she was maybe 12 or 14. So whatever that preparation of she cut her teeth yeah you got to come and bring it in the first take um but uh yeah she's phenomenal the uh the thing that i felt like was there and she even says it at the end to bridget fonda she goes like you're the loneliest you're the person who's most scared of being alone i've ever met like jennifer jason lee says that to bridget fonda and that was always, that was like the little like the um, performance of Bridget Fonda like like she treats it kind of like she's like Richard Dreyfus and What About Bob where it's like <laughs> an annoyance. They're, each scene is kind of yeah. played like she's always like okay, but you know to compare it to the gold standard Michael Douglas in like Fatal Attraction, whatever the mixture of like. I'm torn that this person's annoying, but I also know I kind of led them on because I was lonely. Like that notion of like, oh, this all kind of came out of Allison being lonely and looking for somebody. And then she took this sort of wounded animal in. But then, I don't know, the movie kind of forgets that. I'm not, this isn't a, this is sounding like my big statement about the single white female. Yeah. It's just more like uh, when it came out of uh, the, I don't know, like, um, I just wanted a, there to be more conflict in Bridget Fonda's character about yeah. what was the right and wrong thing to do and maybe it's just like Jennifer Jason Lee is playing like 12 notes and Bridget Fonda is yeah, playing I like two and so just the, the disparity fairly there. limited I, I I find she has a charisma or at least a, a watchability that gets her a certain way there but I think the acting probably doesn't get her the full way there I'm with you on that hey <laughs> Here's the exclusive. <laughs> I'd paint every Fonda with that brush. You look good pictorially. You got the face that looks like it should be in a catalog selling <laughs> stuff. But when the words come out, it's like you, you're getting them right. It's like that's like the most they expect from oh, a yeah. Fonda. It's like you got it right enough. Now look, Bridget Fonda, and like Jackie uh, Brown, is like amazing. So uh, yeah, but, but when just, you're on the heels of Henry, Jane, and Peter Fonda, but I'm saying even Henry Fonda, yeah, buddy, I think he sucks. I think that's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, All the Fondas are. That's oh, my problem with them. Interesting. Oh, is this whoa, kind oh, of yeah. like whoa? You hear, heard it here first. Too yeah, exclusive. that's why I said this is oh, the real exclusive here. Is, okay, is the damning thing I'm saying about the. I don't know. It's just, it's just, I the only way I can talk about it is my what my gut tells me, what my feelings, and when I watch their performances, they're always a little uh, wooden. Mm, or yeah, it, 
it doesn't break through their... That's interesting. My favorite Jane Fonda performance is, no joke, in uh, 9 to 5, but she's playing someone really wooden, and I wonder if that's... Yeah, if you're, why. like, swerving into the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, look, I'm sure the Fondas are great people, and, uh, yeah, so, but... Uh, even John Lennon, I think, was like, Peter Fonda was like a fucking bummer, man. <laughs> like <laughs> That's that, saying something. Because that saga uh, was like, they did acid for the first time, and Peter Fonda was like, have you ever thought what it would be like to be dead? And they're like, dude, get out of here with oh, that boy. shit. Oh, uh, so, um, anyway, with Bridget Fonda, I just... Uh, the complexities of whatever that character was. I just wish it was yeah. nothing. It's, it's too bad you're right, because what I was thinking, too, that this movie is in the 90s, and every time I watch it, I think the neighbor Graham is going to die as an expendable gay character from a movie of this time. And I'm always pleasantly surprised that not only does he survive, he, in a sense, saves the day, and he's no way played as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. It's never an issue. Mm-hmm. And so the movie does have nuance. A lot of that is due to the screenwriter because in the book, that's not the case. The character dies. And I think you oh, got Don Peter. Roos, the screenwriter. Yeah, yes. Peter Friedman and Hed, Hedy's characters are, are the, the actors are really nuanced. Yeah. Bridget Fonda. Who would you put in that role? Because the other thing is, I'm I'm conflicted. I have a bit of a um like hey, when you said it with Nona Ryder, yeah, but. because I had such a crush on Bridget Fonda and China Phillips, probably because of this hairstyle. Which there's three scenes in this movie, as far as I can tell, that are reshoots just based off on her wearing a wig. Yes, and it's weird. I know. My I attraction see. fails a little bit when I see her wig. I, when I read the, <laughs> it's very shallow. But when I saw the movie, I was like, "Ooh, reshoot wig yeah. near the end." And, and not then just I the end, the, the opening scene. Like, well, she's wearing a wig. I'm assuming they needed a- little pieces at the beginning and end to kind yeah. of, uh, yeah, the that hairstyle. I still 1990 doesn't. to 1992. I think is the only time period where. The hairstyles of a model and a twelve-year-old boy were the same. Yeah, like, and that whatever that bowl cut—that's the cut I had when I was a kid. So maybe it's some <laughs> weird narcissism. I don't know. Maybe just this really cool barber was cutting the hairs of Macaulay Culkin and Bridget Fonda. I had so. such a thing for Bridget Fonda, especially in this time, single white female and Godfather Three. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. I I agree. With the, but I'm saying it clouds my vision and I'm I, not able to see her. Did you see, I never saw Point of No Return. No, but I, I did see Jackie Brown, but she doesn't have this haircut in Jackie Brown. So it's like oh. I didn't even see her. And so, <laughs> and so the Wilson Phillips. China Phillips, China. yeah. She had that same kind of, yeah. um, it's just such a funny hairstyle because it is, um, I don't even want to say the word out loud. It's gross. S E X Y. Okay, the haircut is S E X Y. It's sexy. It's, it's sexy. sexy. It's super sexy. But it's funny because it's like um, now that hairstyle, it, it's kind of been now reserved. It's what? It's not being utilized in the bet. Like, I see the hairstyle. Oh, yeah. Has, uh, no. I'm not to say nothing about now, the people who have it. I'm just like, it's not working <laughs> no, right now. If we're being honest, this haircut is now belongs to Midwestern moms of a certain age and a certain um, size of blouse. And I don't mean that they're heavy, but it, a long, oversized 
blouse. That haircut and blouse are related. So it's, is <laughs> what I'm saying. Yes. So to see, and, and, uh, um, and I can say this as a, um, you know, as the, a perfect specimen of oh, human. Yes. Of the human we, man. We are both agreed that both of us are that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's actually reminded me of the, one of my favorite parts of the movie, um, was, and, uh, you know, I, I, I said like, ooh, what I like most about a yuppie nightmare is when they find a little sore spot that people don't want to talk mm-hmm. about in polite company and they kind of like uh, put their finger on it. So it's like, ooh, what if you started talking about this at a dinner party? How would like people react to this right. kind of provocation right. that's going right. um, In Seagull White Female, for me, it's that part where Bridget Fonda says to Jennifer Jason Lee, like... Hey, I couldn't find anybody. I found somebody. You'll find somebody. And then uh, Jennifer Jason Lee goes, No, 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 no. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look at me. You would never have any fear of uh, being alone. I, the way I look, which is preposterous because yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee is beautiful. Uh, but uh, the kind of like, um, I've had friends who told me, uh, um, women friends who were like, I, I overheard a conversation once where they, my wife and their friends were talking about like, my so-called life couldn't go down very easily. They loved it, but they would watch it and go, yeah, I feel f- what Claire Dane's character is feeling. I empathize with her. But she just has to look in a fucking mirror. She's got the fucking haircut <laughs> oh, of a yeah. Claire Dane. She looks yeah. beautiful. Like what's it, like whatever that thing is that I guess people just don't want to ever. You, it'd be insane to bring up over a cock, at dinner party or a cocktail conversation with a bunch of yuppies to kind of be like, "Hey, do you think uh, more doors are open for you because you're better looking?" Like whatever oh, that right. like yeah. third rail is. When she started pointing that out to Bridget Fonda, I was like, ooh, this is a cool... And whatever that happens in male friendships, female friendships, whatever that awareness of, like, this person has this that I don't have, it's just like, that's really good fuel for a little thriller. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, um, the... Uh, sorry. Anyway, well, let's start at the top because yeah. it's interesting. The cold open with the twins, necessary, unnecessary. I, I mean, I yeah. in a in a way, it's nice because you don't know what it is, and then you learn she's a twin, and you realize. Also, just technically, there's a camera move in that shot that I'm a little baffled by. Do they move the mirror? Like a mirror it comes gets back moved. around, and yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yes, yeah, so that would mean in order for it to go like 180 or whatever it did, like a mirror gets moved out of the yeah. way to get. Um, yeah, all that twin stuff I did, um, uh, and I liked the movie. I really liked the movie. Sorry. Uh, but the twin stuff I did like think when she started talking about it at the end, it, um, it disappointed me cause I was like, no, what I like about this is like, this is maybe a degree away from what a normal roommate relationship could be. Yeah. So I've to give it people the like answer this that of like, don't have deceased twins. Yeah, yeah. Being kind of an obsessive, needy roommate friend is there enough in the ether. You don't have to like say that it came out of losing your 
identical twin in a drowning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but hey, we got that nice little uh, version of the scrapbook, the shoebox. Oh, yeah. That's with right. the material inside. Yeah. yeah uh, and those two twins in that scene, um, like all twin actors, they get work in the, the period of time that they're working. So you'll like, <laughs> when I saw them pop up, I was like, these are the girls who drink uh, Junior's uh, pee in Problem Child 2. Oh, is that right? <laughs> well, obviously, these are the girls who... Uh, Wait a minute, I'm also... Give Arnold Schwarzenegger guff in Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> are they? Yeah, it's just like, you got used if they needed uh, 10-year-old twin I just, girls. I have seen the original Problem Child, I don't remember it. I never saw part two, and I just to know that there's a part where twins drink his pee... I don't want any explanation. I just want to live with that. Well, and then there's a part three that I've never seen. It was made for TV. It's like bleak. <laughs> no John Ritter, no Michael. But what Olivieri. if it is really bleak, like like a Cormac McCarthy tale, where it's just problem <laughs> child on the scorched road, eating babies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the problem child two thing is um, Larry Karaszewski. And why am I blanking on this co-writer? The guys who wrote like Ed Wood uh, and The People versus Larry Flynn and The People versus O.J. Simpson, that miniseries. That, um, they uh, wrote Problem Child and they were t- tasked to write Problem Child 2 and all the reviews were about how gross the first one was. And they were so disheartened by that. They were like, well, then we'll make this extra gross. <laughs> and Problem Child 2 is so Really? Gross. Not like not fun. Gross. Not, not fun. Like gross. gross. When out. I saw it as a kid, I remember being like, "This is making me feel weird. Ew. This isn't fun." <laughs> well, speaking of that, the this movie was a lot more violent and sexual, and they had to to kind of take it back in the editing. Apparently, yeah, the tonal stuff in this movie is um, interesting because, like the. It could so easily go into camp and it never does. Like the yeah. idea of two women who look the same fighting, you yeah. know, a wrestling cat, uh, what's that, cat fighting with yeah. each other in the elevator. That you could imagine that could so easily turn into like thriller camp yeah, the territory. Only camp territory it ever really goes into is with um, Stephen Tobolowski a little bit. Yes, you're right. It's not just that he's doing something slightly arch, it's just a little. That's a little um, sugary. Yes, and it gets particularly goes too far. The movie goes too far in like trying to make him that character when they go back to him and they basically like do a comedy thing where it's like, the one thing you know about this guy, he's doing it again when we go back to him and he's got a woman in a chair and he's behind. That's like the joke about like the principal who puts stuff up his butt and like at the end of the movie, he's putting up a big oar and you're like, yep, (laughs) right. This whole scene where he uh, comes on to her She's wearing a wig as well, so it feels like they maybe went back and oh, put that in. I don't know. Oh, good wigdar, my friend. Well, I the wigdar is there. the surest sign of when something's a, a reshoot. Well, uh, I'm looking know. at you, Attack of the Clones. Who? who what? Oh, where? When? Kenobi's what? got uh, not only a fake wig, but a fake beard half the time. Oh, my gosh. What? Do you know what got was getting reshot or for why? Not really? Or? No. Uh-uh. Um, the... Um, the Toblowski stuff, um, again, this goes back, to, I guess, to an old saw now about appearances, but uh, for a movie called Single White Female, I think it's kind of, it's funny to me when um, 
Stephen Toblowski, that character as written, um, is a, a lech. He's 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 a bad guy. Yeah. Um, like, uh, whatever the choice is to cast Stephen Toblowski and not uh, who at the time was just like a, a handsome guy. Oh yeah. Like Bruce Davison. Yeah, right. Exactly. Perfect. Bruce Davidson is like the creep. It's such a funny thing, right? Because it's kind of like, well, is that what's making this creepy? Is that he appears creepy? And it makes sense. The movie is so set up her as beautiful object. Yeah. Right. Like that's how the whole movie's like uh, operates. And so to see it like that is like, oh, is it extra harassy? Yeah. Is this pre? This is pre Groundhog Day, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, uh, a good part of the movie. Is he? A pre, is this pre Sneakers? It is, right? No, uh, it's I post. think it's the summer of sneakers. The summer of sneakers. I think it was the summer oh of sneakers. Oh my god, we all stayed in. We were too scared to go outside. <laughs> in our dress shoes, we'd go outside in our sneakers. Uh, I mean, the to, like, uh, I feel for. Tablowski and um I I've thought this before I don't think I've ever mentioned on the pod but like I think there's a cruel thing that is done to not bald actors but like and not like balding like how men bald yeah like the Toblowski bald. Um, I look like a goof, but I have hair. And so that positions me into things. Like I was thinking about a couple of days ago. I was like, it's so funny that like Gene Wilder can again and again and again and again play like romantic lead. Yeah. But it's like, sorry, Toblowski, no way. No, I know. It's you just, are just because of that masculine. difference. Yeah. Of like, yeah. G. Wilder has big curly hair. Yeah. Yep. He can romance woman after woman after woman. Where it's like, I think that is the linchpin. It's a little sad. It's like, I know it wasn't. I mean, it really it was only around this time that that first started happening with Patrick Stewart, Bruce Willis. Yeah. You have to like, Shave, shave, right? To yeah, although be... Patrick Stewart had hair on the sides. That's true. But even so, he was kind of a patrician figure a little bit. It wasn't quite like leading man. Yeah, and I guess now in 2023, you know, Statham or yeah. Dwayne Johnson or whatever the like... Because I still think like anybody with that, whatever the Toblowski, yeah, the Larry absolutely. Fine is... Yeah. That, is, that person is either... And this is... Obviously, I'm saying it sucks that these are the movie rules when this is not how life really is. So that's what I'm making clear here. But they're always like pencil pushers or leches or bad husbands or bad bosses. It's just like, I'd really be interested in somebody pointing to a romantic comedy where somebody's got Larry Fine hair and they're the lead. It's just like... I know, because I think of that era too, especially on sitcoms. So Jeffrey Tambor showed up a couple times on... Three's company. Is, oh, uh, you know. Tambor was the person I thought of oh, with yeah. Gene Wilder. Oh, I was yeah. like, who's the equivalent where I was like, this person can't. He has to always play an asshole. I was yeah. like, oh, Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah. 
He's part of that is be... also his energy too. Though. <laughs> Gene Wilder might have been a sweetheart life, and Jeffrey yeah. Tambor might have been a bit of a dick. Yeah, uh, and, and Gene Wilder was enigmatic <laughs> and and charming and and frankly brilliant. He's probably one of my favorite actors of all yeah. time. So there is a charisma thing there that Jeffrey Tambor has his own charisma, but it's it is more sinister. Yes, and yeah. Well, going back to uh, what you were saying of uh, Gene Wilder being one of your faves, um, when I was watching Single White Female, I was like, oh, Jennifer Jason Lee is one of my favorite living actors right now. Like oh. when she's in a movie, I get so invested in whatever she's doing on screen, and I don't know how you put words to it, but I just see somebody willing to be vulnerable and it like goes a real long way when you're like this person is being pretty brave here like yeah i i always find there's a certain lack of energy in her that i can never mm. get a hundred percent of the way there with her although i really like her so for you it's jennifer jason (laughs) z z z z Z. no no it's jennifer jason (laughs) (laughs) keep going you're almost there (laughs) I mean, she often plays people who have some sort of damage. Yeah. And so maybe damage can, like, lead to... Suffering. Suffering leads to hate. Hate leads to the dark. He was the acting coach. Yeah, I told that to Mark Hamill. He had him out in the backyard the whole time. From what I hear. Uh, Can we do a pee break? Oh, of course. A single white pee email. Oh, yeah. A single yellow pee (laughs) man. Tinkle white female. Twinkle. Tinkle white female. Tinkle yellow. Tinkle yellow pea. Male. You saying that to me. Like, twinkle yellow pea male. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. We nailed it. With and Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. With and Going back to Jennifer, Jason Lee, and Bridget, they're both uh, children of Hollywood actors. Who's Jennifer Jason? Is it Janet Lee? Uh, no. Vic Morrow. What? Yeah, I didn't know that. So, oh God, she was pretty young then when that, that happened, huh? Yeah, the same. She lost her father the same summer that uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out. Hey, hey. Um, the thing with um, why is your last name different? Um, they were 
I estranged, I think, before oh. the there was a divorce, so mm. I think she had taken a different name anyway. Before you know, when she joined SAG, um, the thing it was uh, reminding me of though was that uh, I thought for the longest time, next movie we watch, The Temp, up until like five six years ago, because I misread something or I thought I saw somebody say it, so I just was like, "This is the truth" for like two decades. I thought Lara Flynn Boyle was Peter Boyle's daughter. Well, I get how you would. <laughs> yeah. But imagine I, my shock then. I'm, I'm holding that around. Be... <laughs> and then I'm like, Ms. Boyle, I loved your father, Peter. And she's like, who's this punk? <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. But <laughs> Well, I always thought Roddy McDowell and Malcolm McDowell were brothers. Oh, I can't get into the. Yeah. I, I can't either. I no, all of that stuff gets all mixed up. I know. The, and then to find out something. Some people are brothers, and that, and some people aren't. Like some people in the world are brothers. That's disgusting. Hey, you got a brother? Yeah, I got two brothers. Yeah, so uh, I got two half brothers and a stepbrother. Lots of brothers. I got a full sister and a stepsister. Right on. I got halves, steps, and fulls. <laughs> anyway. But enough about what you're building in the backyard here, huh? About oh, yeah. that? Half steps and folds. <laughs> I'm seeing something pretty awesome going That's on right. here, guys. The official construction of the garage conversion into a studio back house, guest house, is begun. And it's really coming together. It looks like a Best Buy in our backyard. I had no <laughs> idea how big it was going to be, but I can't wait to get in there. This will be well, where we'll be recording and it's got At some a, point. It's got the frame and the structure right now. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw steps and I said, Matt, steps are a flex. <laughs> well, the steps Didn't exist I? I because that. our backyard is on quite, it doesn't look, when you look at it, you don't know no. it, but it's on quite a grade from our house to the back fence is a 10 year, 10 year journey. <laughs> no, a 10 foot rise. Maybe for a snail. <laughs> Maybe for a goddamn <laughs> snail. <laughs> <laughs> ten foot rise. So when you go in the back of the back house, it's like the normal height of anything. And then when you get by the time you get to this end, it's almost like a two story. But at some point, we're going to be in there recording the. Oh yeah, and look, I've started. Um, and then we'll look at pictures of us sitting here. And we'll be like, Oh, remember? I've started messing with some ideas for the design. Ooh. I love that. I love that uh, little fireplace set up with the... Oh, my gosh, man. Did you design that like in a program? Just Photoshop. Ooh. Yeah, we'll see. But the point is, we're going to have... We'll be sitting... We'll be comfy. There'll be a little... Probably a fireplace crackling when we record. You're going to have a fireplace? It's maybe gas or electric. You can't do wood burning here in California. Yeah. So it'll be a little, you know, little built. It's nothing fancy, but... Oh my goodness gracious. They're pretty simple, actually. You just install them as one piece. I imagine a full Halloween 6 Loomis setup. Oh. Oh. <laughs> like I knock on the door, you're like, hey! <laughs> I was just trying on sweaters. <laughs> well, let's see. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about how when she is interviewing people, potential tenants, did you? I paused her rental application. Did you notice something? No. Favorite movies is one of the questions <gasps> she asks. Bridget, uh, 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 Allison is asking people what their yeah. favorite movies are. <laughs> so the girl that remember, there's one girl that's really nice. Yeah, and then they don't 
pull the rug out from under you, right? Like, yeah. there's no reason she shouldn't have. Oh, you know what that, that reminds? I didn't think about it, but now when you say it, it reminds me in Pacific Heights. Remember? Yeah. The perfect tenant. They kind of like just let go by right, right. before the bad guy yeah. comes in. Like you. Well, that you were so close. That girl's favorite movie is "It's a Wonderful Life." Oh, so she's a kind person. Yeah. And then she looks at um, Hetty's favorite movies, and it's like single white female Dracula. Oh, <laughs> single white female. <laughs> Parentheses nineteen ninety two. Wait, what are these cameras doing here? That's right, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she never says that. I don't think of the movie. We're scream before we were scream, <laughs> bitch. Um, the um, the little. When we talk about yuppie nightmares, Matt, yes, I've heard that that sometimes they're also referred to as the from hell movies. Have you seen that online sometimes? So it's like like yuppie from hell, uh, like uh, oh, oh, uh, uh, tenant the, from hell, yeah, roommate from hell, yes. yes. Pacific Heights is the tenant from hell. Single white females, roommate from hell. Fatal Attractions, the one night stand from hell. Yeah, the mistress from hell, the husband from hell, the, the temp nanny from hell. from hell, the temp from hell. Yeah. Um, the adopted kid from hell, like with good son or so, you know, like that is a good way to start off one of these movies. It's like the thing you have in like from hell. Right. But, uh, that's just to say that roommate from hell is that's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good juicy start. Cause it's like when the pandemic started, I remember thinking like the hell right now would be being in an apartment with a roommate you don't like. Ooh. Like the person you're avoiding most of the time easily just by lifestyles. You're kind of like, I never really have to be around this person. We're work, each of us unconscious. Now, I never had a roommate like this, but uh, had a dorm mates or something, you know, where you're yeah. just like, a, um, not you, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my dorm mates. Hey, cool guys. <laughs> Uh, but the uh, yeah uh, that somebody would kind of be invasive yeah. it could be easily uh, pandemic aside just like the roommate aspect. I had one I told I've talked about him yeah if I was in the pandemic with that guy oh geez I probably wouldn't have lived but all of the like funny things that happen in this movie are just like roommate from hell stuff just like taken to a thriller like she borrows my clothes. She flirts with my boyfriend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she gets haircuts like me. I, I noticed in the notes, Barbe Schroeder said, Oh, I made this because I had a 15 year old daughter at the time. And I was noticing this thing happens between girls where one is sort of more, one wants to emulate the other. Yeah, to find their identity. And it did make me think of like Shattered and stuff. Like, just two movies in a row kind of about how somebody's the main character's identity is malleable enough or it can be taken or something. But the, like with this, um, uh, shit, what was um, that she would, um, know that the, the, Oh, the, that the roommate could get into, uh, I know. I, I, I lost it. my train of thought. Whatever. It's okay. It. It's okay. We'll come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, oh, 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 oh. He said, girls are like that. And then it's like, 
Boys are like that. Not just with clothes. Yeah. With height. Somebody pointed this out to me, Matt. Boys only really hang out with guys their heights. Is that true? I, I had a really tall friend and I was really small. I don't mean to. You're think, tall. But I was really small in high school. And I had a super How tall How tall was friend. this dude? He was super tall. <laughs> was he a... We were sophomores and I was probably about five feet tall and he was probably six feet tall. Whoa. Well, we were, and my name's Matt. His name was Chad, but people, teachers would call us Mutt and Jeff, and I didn't get the reference. It's an old cartoon. Meaning one. I think one's taller. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I like, I'm victim or I'm guilty of it. Like, I wouldn't go out with a group of five guys and be the one person who's dressed different. I'm not insane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but bigger than that is the personality. I, I mean, I think the it's not just girls, boys, especially of that age. They all emulate each other's personality. But or, grownups do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, just saying like, uh, uh, I don't think Barbie Schroeder was saying like, oh, yeah. this only happens with 15-year-old girls. I, I think what's kind of cool about, I mean, it's my favorite thing about single white female is the thing of like, I like how that person looks and I'm going to start looking like that person. That's yeah. And cool. there, there are unique elements to like guys aren't really rating each other's wardrobes and things like that. At <laughs> That's least true. As much back then, especially. Yeah. I mean, this has bad influence kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, we were just like, Oh God, I wish by the end of bad influence, Rob Lowe would have kissed, um, James Spader. James Spader. And you would have found out like, um, Oh, I realized what would have changed everything in Bad Influence. If he had woken up to Rob Lowe watching him have sex and Rob Lowe was masturbating, yeah. that would have made me made enough because there'd be plausible deniability on Rob Lowe's part and the filmmaker's part of like, well, he's just watching heterosexual sex. Yeah. But it'd be enough for James Spader to be like, you enjoy watching me and having it pleasure you, then the rest of the movie you'd be like, oh, I see now why it starts right. getting more comic. With this, it did seem like I um, love all of the, uh, that like five minute, seven minute scene of like, when she goes up into the bathroom and she hears them talking and she comes in and they're talking and then she lays down with them and then wakes up and thinks he's not there, but then she goes in and sees her masturbating like yeah. um that kind of like fun stuff i was just like that's the thing that like in a studio movie is just like really absent now is like perversity yeah that's what it was and that it was something at the time because this is 92 so i was 19 when this mm -hmm. came out and you know coming from a pretty just middle-class waspy bubble. I was seeing things in, in nuance that I hadn't seen or heard of before. I had heard of all this stuff, but <laughs> to see someone who is kind of like sort of fluid sexually with Jennifer Jason Lee's character, but it was more about um, manipulation than sexuality. Mm -hmm. That was new to me. And, and like the masturbation and all the stuff you just like, it's concepts I was all aware of, but to see it so 
put on screen in such a loaded way. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. Feel, like not fully understanding all of the nuance of human emotion, sexuality, and manipulation. Even after seeing this, yes, going yeah, like, yeah. "What is? What exactly is?" going on in the world is this is this <laughs> what adult life is and you know well it's funny because the you know like they don't make it campy when they're cat fighting because they've kept the tone somber enough but like that my heart breaks a little bit when i watch single white female like i i wish it was like a little bit more like fun yeah like it kind of has this kind of somber at and maybe that's, that's true appropriate because they do have like characters in this movie that don't normally exist. Like somebody asking if she's okay, people being concerned about her well being, and like a father who calls her and is checking up on her. Like a lot of times these movies would just make them right. All caps wacko or something. So maybe once you start truly acknowledging that this person's sad, then you can't make it a De Palma thing. But like, I did kind of want when she walks in on her master. It, it it is play. I'm getting to what you were saying. It's sort of like presented to you as kind of this like sort of sad or or detached thing. Rather, like if it was diploma, it'd be just the funniest yeah. fucking craziest scene of the world is where she wakes up and thinks the guy's not there. So she goes to check on what's going on. That woman's like up in her bed masturbating. <laughs> and it wouldn't have just been that she dropped the cat and got away. Like yeah. De Palma would have had them looking at each yeah, other. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's yeah. the cool thing too about the movie with them being doubles. Most movies are about the person outside trying to <laughs> sniff out who the double is. But this is like the first movie I know, like a noir movie or something, or a suspense movie where the person's like, oh, I'm getting doubled. Yeah. It's not just a ploy like in body double or something right. to like trick somebody into thinking or vertigo. Do you, when you think of this movie, because this came out in the time when I was at college. So mm-hmm. a movie like this, I watch it now and I have more respect for it than I did when I saw it because I saw this as a middling, like, box office thriller. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw it, I think I probably liked it, but was aware like this is not cinema, you know? (laughs) But I wonder sometimes like now how a younger generation would look at this movie because it does have a bit of a kind of classics reputation to it from movies of that time. I think, you know, it's, it's grown in esteem, I think. And I don't know if part of that is just, there is such a good hook to this movie that it does most of the work for it. And then a lot of the acting's good and and a lot of the filmmaking's good, but it's not, I don't think this is like up there with the even hand the rocks cradle or something. I mean, I, yeah, I just think it's, I think this movie has been elevated above the genre so that it right. is. And is that, is that, no, is I, that pro, like, does it deserve that? I don't know. You're blowing my mind about how it is like entered classic status and that like you can, it must be that the title is really great. It is. Yeah. And it makes you think like, wow, a movie just has to kind of be titled right. And half like the work is done and like it having longevity or something yeah. or impact when it first comes out and people are talking about it. But, um, the other one is like, I think when a movie can be shorthand for a thing that's happening in life, 
is also what can enter into class. Like gaslighting is like yeah. a classic example. You know, gaslight. You're like, uh, but like, I feel like single white female might also have the classic status because somebody can kind of use it as like, yeah, didn't that person kind of go like single white female and you like start dressing as you? Oh yeah, I was a I total used to like say that about my roommate all the time. He, like, but it's funny, it's like femaleing me. Yeah. I think that happened. Like when yeah. a title is that good, it can also be like. I mean, this is a not the nicest way, but when somebody's like, you know, like, well, we got to get there because it, we got to get there in six minutes. And somebody's like, okay, Rain Man. Slow yeah, down, you right. know, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. This movie has been using the cultural lexicon beyond the movie, but you're right. So, yeah, exactly. So if you go back and somebody watches it now because they know this title, I'm trying to think. I had experiences with that when I was a kid where you, you go back to a movie that has some vaunted yeah uh status or something because this is not a new concept this is basically strangers on a train in a sense it's just i don't know has it been done with women before and in this way so it does feel like its own thing it got there before something Mm -hmm. else did yeah definitely uh you know and maybe like uh whatever happened to uh baby jane of being like two right um dynamic actors who are at each other you know all about eve too yeah but the idea of uh it being this modern which is like it's kind of uh would be difficult to even have it be a plot point because the idea of two independent women who are living together there is oh Laverne and Shirley <laughs> the children's hour it's a play and a movie and it's well, and very it, similar in a sense it also reminded me of uh, I only watched like the first half hour and I got bored but Gordon Willis did only directed one movie called Windows with Talia Shire and it was <coughs> controversial at the time because it was the idea that Windows a woman's watching another woman an obsessed lesbian killer and people were like oh that's it was protest at the time it was, uh, but I did think like oh it's funny single white female gets there that it is some sort of um, lesbian crush gone sideways like that seemed to what they suggest with single white female but with children's hour I, I shouldn't say children's hour is it like direct comparison because, no but isn't it like that well the, it's just one is in love with the other and i think kind of in a sense admires her to the point of there's just not a sinister aspect to it really what the twist is is that i don't want to say the twist but it's it's not a direct comparison because neither of them are like villainous mm-hmm. um or mentally ill you know yeah so, and it's a play from the what 40s 30s so it's w- well ahead of its time wow but it's dark it's whatever dark that observation it's a definite is. drama not a thriller in any way uh, yeah so whatever that observation is of like one two people of the same gender one could become sort yeah. of obsessed yeah. with the other person um, yeah uh, I guess also right having to cast two people that could convincingly other each other too is I know. An interesting. Notion. But it's that, that weird feeling you get when you see movies from your time or prime <laughs> become kind of extolled by a later generation. And, and this one, I really like this movie, but it, 
I don't say like, I don't think it's being held up as a classic classic, but I do think it gets a lot more respect than I remember kind of yeah. at the time going like, guys, this is just a Friday night movie. Do you know what watching. gets props every passing year now? And it makes me so happy because it's like deserved because it's what? a time and now it's, is the game. I just watched that on the flight. You did? To New York, yeah. Brother, that's so cool. Yeah, but it's not my, I don't know why. I'm ah, I'm sorry. Right I'm after sorry. I was like, people are going bananas about this game. I, I think that's always, that movie has never flown Did you watch Post Killer? No, pre Okay, pre-killer. so you were saying that movie never, sorry, go ahead. It just never, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I just, I don't know why. I think it's my least favorite Fincher movie. Isn't really? that crazy? L- less favorite than Benjamin Button. Yeah. And Matt, you really that. don't like the well, game. It's, it's not that. It's just Benjamin Button's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> also, <laughs> you could like it. It's just a least liked of something. Too. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. A, like a least liked of a Fincher movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it the whole kind of like you could pull the cord of it's all a dream sort of stuff? Uh, that's, I kind of knew that going in and I hadn't seen it for a while. I just, I don't know. I really don't know. There are certain, like, Fincher's calling card is is how kind of bleak and dark things can be. And if a movie doesn't get over that threshold and take (gasps) you with you, it kind of sinks under its own weight. It kind Uh of black holes to me. Uh Um, But that's rare. I I don't, I I like Fincher's pulpiest movies the best. Like Mm -hmm. Panic Room and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think are my favorite Fincher Uh movies. Uh I love Seven. Um, I really like the killer, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily put it. That was pretty pulpy, though. Tier. Yeah, very pulpy. And I mean, talk about it, in my wheelhouse. Yeah. How did you like it? You liked it, right? Oh, I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, there was some stuff that, and I rewatched it. I rewatched like mm. watched it in the theater, and then I uh, when I came out, I watched like the first half. Got sleepy. Not to the fault of the movie. Just, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was the plan. I'm going to watch first half of it. You know? um, and watching the first time and then seeing it that second, um, being conscious of like, there's a couple of points where you're like, this is like, I'm seeing a classic sequence before yeah. my eyes. Yeah. Like in 30 years, when they'll show a reel of great David Fincher sequences, <laughs> that scene of him setting up the shot for the first kill and yeah. watching the woman dance with the guy. I'm like, that's a hall of famer. And it's pretty staggering to sit in a theater watching a I hall of famer. I, would, I saw it at home. I mean, I, oh. I went for everything. I like turned the lights out, no phones. We but That we, credit sequence. It's like under a minute. I yeah. checked like what oh, I, I was really? like, that was so fast. And then when I went home and looked at it, it's 58 seconds. It's like such a wow. badass, like throwing down the gauntlet of like making something so, um, Cut to the bone. Econ- economical and yeah. efficient. Yeah. That's what I think um, doesn't... Uh, with Full Metal Jacket, that's like a big idea of the movie. You know, the idea that things could be... The bathrooms are simplified. The guns are simplified. Like, the idea of a Full Metal Jacket. It's like... Um, it's Stanley Kubrick's, like, shortest movie. Oh, really? And it almost seems like in a post-Shining stage, whatever he was in was like... I'm going to try to make a movie that's just like all bone. Yeah. There's like no meat, like how streamlined you can make it. And watching it with that, like 
it makes it really exciting. You're like, yeah. wow, there's so many little pockets that are left out that, you know. Yeah. You don't get the guy who's like, I miss Sally back at home and can't wait to get back to her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize that the game is really rising in esteem. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, on little movie nerd groups, people are just like <laughs> circling around to it. I uh, Well, I'm glad to hear that because I, I know I'm the outlier there. I know a lot of people really like that movie. Uh, I just... Uh, love how it it looks like a commercial from like 1990 like the slickest commercial uh, yeah. for two hours I that's know, like that's true that's very true <laughs> uh the um but beautiful cinematography in the in single white female yeah the the projections through the curtains and the the railing that yeah. kind of ornate railing um and uh brantley said that uh, the cinematographer had these little systems nests of mirrors yeah. to have like light shoot off and stuff um the uh, I just watched Christine, mm-hmm. rewatched Christine again, and noted, oh, that Columbia Pictures logo doesn't have any studio music. John Carpenter, I guess, just made the choice of like, I don't want any music. Just have Columbia Pictures come up with no music. Um, same with Single White Female, and I was like, this just because Columbia Pictures just didn't have a good theme. Oh, interesting. Huh. That the people would just rather have it just be yeah silent. <laughs> I mean, I know the one from Ghostbusters is like that. Oh, yeah. But that's not like the Columbia theme. No, I don't know. What is the Columbia theme? Exactly. <gasps> oh, my God. I it's mean, they were along with TriStar. We know that. I mean, yeah. if the Columbia would fucking get on its knees to be able to have a breadcrumb of the smorgasbord that the theme song for TriStar is. <laughs> it's Dave Grusin, you know. Who's Dave Grusin? Dave Grusin did like music. He's the easy listening Hall of Famer. Uh, I'm going to use the term Hall of Famer twice. Dave Grusin is like um, a name set. We've he talked did the about music him, right? for Tootsie. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. You know, oh man. A wow. theme that goes like do 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 do. Oh you know, god, that that's guy. right. Yeah, very Chuck Mangione. Get those two together when they go to the sex club. Yes. This is when you know it's 1992 because they're playing Sadness Part 1 by Enigma, which was known as the sex music. Okay, I wondered what that... I wrote it down as Enya, but I was a few letters off. It was Enigma. It's Enigma, (laughs) yeah. And Sadness Part 1, and that that thing was all over the radio, but everybody knew... Because it has a breakdown where like you hear a woman basically climaxing. Oh, wait. Is that the day? Yeah. Did that, but that ever get played while they were in the S and M club? That yeah. little hook? I oh, never no, I don't the... think so. No, it was more so the they were going deep. <laughs> they also had a second album, I think, single called "Return to Innocence," which oh. I remember. To return to innocence, yeah, which is like that. You don't want to hear that in an S and M club. <laughs> Return to Innocence come on. I was like, somebody put on uh, tubular bells. I guess that was after Enigma had like um, converted back to Christianity. Just like, <laughs> yes, he was like, please. We don't do sex anymore. He saw you that mistook scene. us. This was not a sex song. I know. He saw a single white female. And he was like, this is how people are seeing us? This is how they see Enigma? I know. Yeah. S- we, sex club? We music? literally mean to be Gregorian monks chanting. This is, this is We're not sampling. That's who we are. <laughs> this is a, a in the notes that said that the interior was a set 
but the exterior was a real S&M club at the time in New yeah, York. Yeah. But now it's a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Uh, the note said. And it just made me think of like. Both of them spicy. <laughs> well, I was like, that can work in a spatial sense. One can replace the other, but you wouldn't ever want to go from a Mexican restaurant to an S&M club. <laughs> That is a one-way stop. You got to go, yeah, absolutely. You're like, excuse me, and they're like, again? It's like, yeah, I ate a burrito before I came here. Stop spanking me. Sorry, it's my kink. <laughs> yeah, happy diarrhea. Also, uh, I thought uh, Allison was a little bit of a prude. Yeah. Because... And a little bit of a hypocrite, because she's like snooping around her room and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and... That that was the moment where she goes, I've had enough, even though she suspects her of all these other things. Like, if you... F- Allison's in the wrong here. Like, if she told this story to her friends, yeah, they would be like, why are you following your roommate and you're watching her go to sex clubs and then you're like coming back to me and telling me about it? Like, you're a loser. I know, like, and the same thing with the masturbation, there seems to be this implication that she shouldn't be... I guess maybe she should shut her door. Yeah, but it is a weird prudishness for somebody who's been like having sex with Steven Weber all around that. Like, yeah, Alan, maybe right. this is because I love Jennifer Jason Lee and Bridget Fonda. Like, but uh, like the whole time, I'm like, I was just annoying. Yeah, like she said, I'm not going to get together with this guy. Then she got together with the guy. Yeah. You can tell even the dog is like put out. He's like, <laughs> well, we were all having a good thing here. This sucks. And then the choice to have Steven Weber, he's good. I mean, he's a great actor. It's like, But his character, they don't sell it like Annie Archer in Fatal Attraction, where you're like, this person's the one. It's You yeah. got to keep that together, people. Don't mess with that. Like, I don't know if Bridget Fonda... Is is that a loss for her? Like, Well, I, I didn't mind that because I, I thought it was more... And a more interesting interpretation as opposed to him just being like a kind of perfect yeah. dude that you're that, right. And they, they say, you know, it's a flaw of hers. And I think we're supposed to be on that side of going like, why are you going back to this guy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't fall for this. Then what's really interesting is the way that Jennifer Jason, Jason Lee tricks him and they, they kind of play it right at the end where he could stop, but he doesn't, but they're also kind of like, insinuating that he can't stop because he's just right in the middle. But No, that whole so. scene is like amazing. They yeah, kind of they ride the line with a lot of things yeah. in this movie that I, I do think raises it above yeah. just a genre movie and maybe that makes it worth kind of the perception it has today. But No, that's a, you're, you're right. I do like that like Steven Weber isn't just like one thing. He's many things. Yeah, this, you yeah. ultimately don't want them to be together. Yeah. But then it's the same thing like when Stephen Tobolowski comes in at the end to sort of it kind of saves her. You're like, oh, compared to Jennifer Jason Lee at this point, he's not heroic, but he's on the good guy's side and well, you're kind of like, oh, gross, you know? It's funny because watching it with um, post the killer eyes and thinking about the killer is like, Oh, is every choice basically going against uh, the choice an assassin hitman movie normally makes? Like, yeah. it's as easy as like this. It usually goes this way, and they're doing it this way instead. And like, you can kind of look at it through that lens. 
with this, maybe because I had those eyes, I was like, it's such a zigzaggy yeah. survivor, survivors in this, because it is Steven Weber normally would be the last guy to get taken out mm-hmm. because you got to ride, you know? And once Tablowski assaults her, you're automatically, you're like, Tablowski's going to be out in right. 15 minutes. Right. But he stays until the end and yeah. then becomes the rescuer. And then, to your point with uh, Graham, you think he's dead. He's yeah. like out of it. He wakes up in the bathtub and then he... Be- so all these people that you thought the order normally would be... Yeah. Tablowski. They got the dog right because the dog's the first. Y- yes. And Tablowski is... Um, the audience wants that too. So he got his and we're happy. Then you take on Graham and you're like, well, I liked him, but I guess he's expendable in terms of like a boyfriend, a up guy who lives above you. And then it's like with Steven Weber, but instead it's, yeah. it's all different. So I, I'll give it as a, that it's a choice to do something different and not like. What do you think about the high heel kill of Steven Weber? I felt it was a little fantastic for this movie. This movie has to fucking see a talk to a doctor because a person <laughs> wouldn't automatically die from a high heel and somebody wouldn't be unconscious in a bathtub for 72 hours. Like how long was Graham yeah, in that bathtub I'm with his cat sure. on him? I don't know. Like, also love concussions just... don't last that long and a guy has been in an emergency room with a stiletto heel in his eye being like, can you fuck help me? <laughs> it just, it also has that feel that only a foreign director can bring into America. Whereas gets 90% of the things right. But then there's something off, not off bad. It's just something different, something literally mm-hmm. foreign about some of the choices. I always feel that in Verhoeven films. Yes. There's just a kind of, you don't understand that that's a sh- shitty actor in our country and we don't really respect that person but you put them in a role with with like oh, requires a lot of esteem yeah, yeah. and it's really odd you know i mean i like the attack of him and uh uh be- more because with graham i was like that was some weak sauce yeah. shit yeah. like she just kind of lifts it up and kind of like the fight stuff's not super well choreographed or directed or shot I, I'm, it's, yeah I just it, just the impact somebody on set would have been like oh no you gotta bring that crowbar up and like yeah. bring it down on it or, or you know yeah. like it would just kind of be like ooh right. the person would just fall also I felt like she got robbed of like a great like last line like a character like that who's a you know closest thing it comes to is like Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction are just like top notch actor getting to play like some wild fun shit when she gets killed, she just like drops to the floor, looks up at her, and then it fades to black. I know. Like that's the time she should have said, "Like you, you were always the lo- yeah. you're the loneliest person I've ever I met." Know. Or it's something a missed like that. opportunity. Yeah. The thing I think I the moment I loved most in this mm-hmm. movie is when she's got Allison tied up, and it's just tight on Jennifer Jason Lee, and she's the crime has come out, and she's delivering her monologue, and it's like slightly stilted and odd and you think she's just confessing all this and then you realize she's dictating it to Alice to write as a suicide note. Yes. And I just thought that was brilliant because yeah. the whole time I'm kind of like, oh, what feels odd about this? Is That's it just awesome. her character? And then it's justified by the but, fact. Yeah, the modern equivalent though, like that they had to like get in there of like, it's on a laptop. Yeah. Because uh, 
and then putting the palm on the screen so that there's a palm print to incriminators like just have her hold a pen and write like <laughs> I know. what's this computer screen thing it just seemed like such a funny sexy early night i mean it absolutely was because in the notes was it in the notes yeah where they read that this was a black and white laptop and they didn't have color yet but they knew it was coming so they did it's a special effect it's a special that's so effect. cute yeah uh, <laughs> that's so cute uh yeah that tablowski scene is maybe the most 90s it gets it's just like yeah. every element in the penthouse apartment the skeezy boss the yeah um the uh i think uh, that's it um the good because joe biden just texted me what do you say? He said, Mattis, Joe Biden, my team tells me that you're an active supporter of ours. <laughs> and then uh, that's all the preview will show me. Uh, the, um, oh, uh, uh, the people auditioning or the people, uh, possible tenant montage yeah. in a movie. Always. I'm love always going to love it. Love it. The like, it's really only second only to the speed dating. Ah, the speed dating montage is very good. I was going to say the audition montage oh, yeah, yeah. is the best. It's the funniest fucking thing a movie can do. Yeah. It's the weirdos auditioning. Yeah. Uh, but the tenants coming in is good too. Yeah. Um, the I noticed that she was watching Vertigo. Or was it Vertigo? Like, no. What was well, that? there's a part when she's eating the ice cream by herself and oh. she's watching. I think, but... Um, it made me think it was like, it's funny to have a character watch the movie that the movie's referencing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like in the social network, Jesse Eisenberg turns on Citizen Kane. is like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in Halloween three when they're watching Halloween. <laughs> the universe like bent. Yeah. They had, they had machines that reported, uh, love that silver jacket. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was um, something. The dog thing didn't totally work for me because if you don't know who's doing it or if it was really an accident, it's hard to have an emotional response to that scene. Oh, I, mean, I my, thought for sure she killed the dog. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think there was any question. Yeah. I did sort of hope that when they showed the dog from afar down, that like off in the corner of the frame was Michael Myers just kind of... <laughs> You gonna eat that? Licking his lips. <laughs> you, done, you done with that? Uh, the uh, it is funny that this scene, like the way they walk around in this apartment, Matt is yeah. like what a fourteen-year-old boy imagines how women like. Yeah. They're always oh, in their I underwear know. and robes that are perfectly cleavaged, topless, bottomless. In the apartment itself is sort of like erotic yeah. just in its design. Did you notice too, or this was in the notes that Graham's apartment was the same set. They just redressed it, which makes sense. Cause it would be, you know, theoretically. Uh, I same. know, but I didn't notice yeah, that when I, I saw it, but I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, well, do you, uh, have a favorite, um, kill? I guess it's the stiletto. That's the yeah. best one. Yeah. The, um, the swing down of Bridget Fonda at the end to kill Hetty was a little ridiculous, <laughs> a little, I don't know, little silly. acrobatic. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I like the stiletto. That was good. Um, the little switcheroo, though, I realize of um, having sex with Steven Weber, giving him oral sex. Um, interesting, like a call and response story with the Tablowski oral sex not going 
It's like the response on the other, the B side is her lookalike giving it to Stephen Weber. But um, when that's basically she executed Spacey's plan from consenting adults of the same year. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh my God. Or Spacey was like, hey, I have a friend in New York who did this wild thing, buddy. And he's got an Uzi and she's got a Walther PPK? I know. When the gun came out, I thought, ooh, that's a Spacey's Uzi. Uh, A Spacey's Uzi. (laughs) I also noticed when she heard the news about the friend, and I love the revelation on the news that she heard. Yeah. Um, uh, But when she went to the toilet, I, to puke, I noticed a wobbly toilet. (gasps) Really? Yeah. It's funny that... Oh, there's your timer. You got to run. Um, therapy. Okay, after this, you're... I mean, to... this is my therapy. Sorry, I'm going uh, to jog now. <laughs> Do a podcast. <laughs> well, out of 13... Um, let's recap real quick. Um, 12s uh, for both of us for after hours. I gave Bedroom Window a 6.5. You gave it a 7.5. Bad Influence, I gave it a 9.5. You gave it a 10. Shattered, I gave it an 8.5, and so did you. Um, I'll give this a... 9. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so will I. We're pretty arm-in-arm arm on this season. Single nine females. <laughs> um, the uh, thing I did notice, the... Um, that very end, I love a freeze frame with credits going over the freeze frame and then yeah. the, the dignified fade to black yeah. during it. Yeah. Uh, but the freeze frame it was on, where it was like the she's packing up and then it pans over to their two photos like lined up. Is that like happenstance? Was it like two photos fell? I don't know. Yeah. Or is she doing that? She's like, huh, look is at that. Is she the next single white female? Yeah. I l- like the suggestion that there was a next single white female. Um, this is a movie I like in movies where it's like, the whole time you're like, this person's a loser. And then at the very end, you're like, oh my God, a loser likes a loser. Like when she went to cash her paycheck, yeah. she had her own little heady. Who was like, oh, I know. I notice you change yeah. your hair all the time. Yeah. And then she was like, well, uh, maybe I'll make it blonde like yours. And she's like, you'd really do that? Uh, I know. I, I love a movie that has a depth of heart that could be like, no, everybody yeah. has their own little person who That's wants right. to be the other it's person. A circle. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get to Baby Zeno's next time and read those. So stand by. We'll be back in two weeks after. Have a nice Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. And if you're not in America, you are not allowed to give thanks to anything <laughs> for the next week. No, it'll be a week of gratitude for all. Uh, Matt, I'm thankful for you. Same here, buddy. I'm thankful for our listeners and Same the podcast. Here, buddy. Big time. And we'll be back in two weeks with The Temp. The Temp. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? 
It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.